This is The Shift Podcast. The Shift Daily Podcast has former Liberal MP Dan McTagg giving us his post-election reaction. He dives into what's next for the Liberal Party and the Conservatives and what Parliament might look like soon. It looks like we have a contender for the best video game of the year. Blaine Kylo gives a raving review of Deathloop mind-bending action game from Bethesda. Sir Christopher Gilbert joined us for the International Dispatch, officially for the roast of Ryan O'Donnell's terrible music taste. He takes a tour of the world with some crazy stories, including bizarre black market in New Zealand selling chicken, and how an Airbnb turned away a guest for liking heavy metal music. Now, after that story, and Ryan's taste in the Smiths and LCD sound system, we have encouraged Ryan to try to book some Airbnbs and see if he also gets rejected. Welcome to the International Dispatch from our world citizen. Live from Japan, New Zealand's Chris Gilbert. Now, um, I need to acknowledge uh, Chris Gilbert's tummy. He's been an absolute <laughs> yeah. champ. Um, and he's been an absolute champ here fighting off some 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 upset food somethings going on. How are you hanging yeah. in there, brother? You okay? I'm good. I feel like I've gone from zero to hero because I felt so guilty uh, emailing Ryan and being like, uh, I can't breathe or open my eyes or hold down yeah. anything. Is it all right if I take one of my famous rain chicks? And he was like, actually, you know what, Chris? It's not all right. Do better. That's what he said in his email. <laughs> he was better. like, I'm, I'm sick of it. I'm sick of this every well, week with you. And so I was like, all right, well, I, I better save your show then, as I often do. Well, so here I am. You do often save the show. And I, I, you should uh, not be so forgiving of the irony is that the only person on this show that has a ability to call in sick and get backup is Ryan O'Donnell. And so I, as Brendan Kelly and I are sitting here looking at each other going, so Ryan can take a day off and just call in sick if he wants, while Brendan and I have no backup yet. And so, yet here he is telling you to come to work, uh, like you're with the rest of us, I guess, eh? Guys. Typical bloody radio producer. Oh, I am, I am getting just thrown in the trash. I am, I am <laughs> on fire in the dumpster fire tonight. That is the roasting well, yeah. of me. The roast of Ryan uh, O'Donnell. I, here it is. I have to, ad- I have to admit, I might have been triggered because I was on Twitter right before when I was, you know, trying to peel my eyelids open, and I saw a photo of you surrounded by a whole bunch of Smiths records, and uh, <laughs> that triggered me. So it made me irritable, Ryan. Oh, uh, well, <laughs> wow. we're all irritable here on this show. <laughs> wow, right? So we, uh, uh, Chris, we wanted to do the top 500 songs of all time because Rolling Stone came out with that list. We thought we would do the top 500 songs of all time with the shift heads. And then Ryan wanted to put three, um, he wanted to put three Smith songs. So we just, in order to not compromise the top 500, we just made it the top 503. <laughs> oh, so you, you're doing the top 500 worst songs of all time then? Is that what you're doing? No, top no, just the top 500 best songs. And then it's the That's 500. It just oh, counts man. to 503. Yeah. I, I, you know, I used to love the Smiths because I have very happy memories of uh, snowshoeing around uh, Quebec. Um, and when I was a young man and uh, being introduced to the Smiths um, by, well, I guess by myself and uh, feeling really happy around New Year's time in the snow. And I think recently, only recently, I was like, you know what? I don't want to listen to this this whiny crap anymore i want to listen to um i want to listen to some real music i don't want to listen to some whiny british man feeling sorry for himself all the time that's not really my my cup of um 
English breakfast tea, so to speak. Um, so I, I have gone fully <laughs> off them, but I have respect for the people who the, the soldiers who stick by Morrissey still to this day. As, as nobody has, as it is, nobody has ever said I was doing something happy listening to the Smiths before. So you could have set a new record there too. Uh, okay, <laughs> uh, Ryan, I'm Ryan. We love you. We just don't love your musical yeah, love taste. You. That's all. Yeah, no, okay. you're all good. I'm just Ryan. gonna. I feel it's bad okay. now. No, it's fine because you know what the best part about being a Smiths fan is? I can cry myself to sleep listening to their music and I won't be alone. That's the yeah. best part. Yeah. Chris, did you have but, a uh, number one song you want to toss at us for our list of the best 500 oh, songs of all time? Mate, it's not like a contract I mean, that you can't change your mind later. So there's no oh, it's commitment so here. It's so hard. Um, you know what? I want to go for a Kiwi one. I'm going to go for uh, Pink Frost by The Chills. Um, Pink Frost by the Chills has to be a good flying nun band from the Dunedin sound of the 1980s. Uh, I would say it's probably one of the, the best songs of all time. And it's a bit depressing too, Ryan, so you would enjoy it. It's a good one. <laughs> yeah, it's already on the it's already on my Spotify. Done deal. You got me. Yeah, no, Since awesome. uh, Sir Christopher Gilbert is a former Shifthead member, now he left us because probably because he's smart and he's in Tokyo. He's from New Zealand. Chris, take us on a tour around the world. Let's start with your home country. Yeah, let's start with New Zealand. This is awesome. Um, this is a great one because uh, just a quick recap of what's happening uh, to the country down under, down under New Zealand. Um, uh, they're uh, kind of got a little bit of COVID, and the way that the COVID response there works is they have four levels of lockdown. Uh, level four being the most strict, where you can't like leave your house pretty much. And the other three being some variation of, you know, more, you know, a more lenient approach. Like you can leave your house to get groceries or you can wear a mask to the gym or something. So Auckland at the moment is where all the COVID is. And there's a pretty much a perimeter, 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 perimeter. There's a perimeter around Auckland, not a perimeter, a perimeter. Um, it's my it's New Zealand island. accent tripping me up there. Um yeah, and you can't leave the city pretty much, and you can't get into the city uh, because you don't. People don't want COVID spreading around. The the border around Auckland is shut. Um, the thing is that if you're under level four, so if you're level one, two, or three, you can get you can get what we call in New Zealand takeaways. But if you're in level four, you can't get you can't get your your, your chicky fry. You can't get your Big Macs. You can't get hmm. your your fish and chips. You know, level three that's all good and so there's a bit of a, a black market uh operation starting to start uh, starting to God. start so this is my tummy talking please forgive me um mm -hmm. but like it, it's uh yeah and so let, let, let's listen to uh, that that news clip that i provided you with brendan and laura we've had an update on compliance from police today that's right. We hear that a police officer or police officers patrolling Auckland's southern boundary yesterday arrested two gang associates who were trying to get into Auckland with over $100,000 in cash and a car boot full of KFC. When you need it, you need it. Oh, um, you know, this is the plot of the South Park episode, right? A, like what? this is a real there is a South Park episode where Cartman KFC becomes illegal and Cartman starts a black market ring of KFC. This actually is that, the, yeah. is that true? A hundred percent. It's one of the best episodes of the whole show. Medicinal Crunchy. fried chicken. Yep. Watch it. Wow. It's amazing. Um we let's clarify, Chris, what a boot is for those who don't understand the uh the boot for the car. A boot. It's not actually um, a boot. 
I know I know there's a lot of Canadians at the moment asking, what is this all about? Um, so let me clarify. <laughs> uh, it's sorry, that's another South Park joke. Um, it, it, a boot is uh, what, what what do you call it over there? A trunk, a trunk, trunk. Um, yep. The, it's, it's the back of the car, and you push the button, and the back of the car flips open, and there's a whole lot of um, stuff inside. Usually, uh, takeaways uh, in New Zealand. When uh, we last, well, we when New Zealand last had a lockdown, uh, when COVID first started, uh, and places went from level four down to level three, there were cars lined up down the street for takeaways, like for just, just for McDonald's and just for Pizza Hut and Domino's and stuff like drive-throughs would shock a block. Like you cannot overstate how much New Zealanders love their fast food. They really? love it. And uh, the hardest thing about level four, if you go on um, the, the Twitter hell bubble that I'm in, which is New Zealand media circle, um, is that people miss uh, takeaways more than anything. And so this is a huge story in New Zealand that uh, a, a couple of uh, quote, huge quotation fingers gang members, who I assume is probably the mongrel mob, uh, tried to, they were on a dirt road uh, trying to sneak into Auckland and they uh, saw some uh, headlights ahead of them on a gravel road and there was a cop car. And so they turned around as you do in the middle of nowhere on a gravel road and sped away at full speed. And and the cop, the cops were like, oh, that's totally normal behavior. Anyway, let's follow them. And they pulled them over, and they opened it up. And it was a twenty three year old and a thirty year old. And yeah, they had um they had a boot full of KFC and 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 a hundred thousand dollars and apparently a whole bunch of uh, empty ounce bags uh, which no longer had the original product in them. Uh, but they're trying to smuggle uh, what I assume to be uh, lukewarm to uh, cold and possibly day old. Um, Kentucky Fried Chicken into that's the into best Auckland. though. Yeah, the, the the cold one. Yeah, the day old KFC. That's what it's the best. Yeah, I mean it is an extremely good hangover cure if you are smart enough to pick it up on your way home, and then you have like a little uh, a little toasty oven. No, not not a full oven. Just like a little a little you know like a shelf oven. And you, and you heat it up in the shelf oven the next day, and you um, just absolutely lather it with. I I'm sorry, I have to change the subject. Just upsetting my stomach, but <laughs> it's, it's amazing hangover food. Oh, it is amazing. Okay, well, we'll move on. So, uh, uh, Mr. Um, food poisoning here doesn't have to talk about food anymore. Let's go across the Atlantic and go to Ireland. Yeah. on this one. Okay, Ireland, Ireland, Ireland. I, oh, we're going. Okay, I have two. Um, two stories in that part of the world. So I had to look at my right, my, the correct browser tab. I like this story. Um, this would be a good story if, uh, if Maddie was around because it, it concerns middle, uh, heavy middle. Although he was more of a rock guy than a middle guy. But anyway. Yeah, he's Airbnb, pretty straight up rock. Yeah, I don't think he's that into his middle. He just looks very middle. Um, but Airbnb uh, in Ireland uh, is... Uh, Pretty much, there's a host over there who's like, no, you can't stay in my Airbnb because of your music taste. Um, there's somebody who would uh, wanted to go see a band called Death Blooms. Uh, her name is Kaylee. And uh, sorry, it's not an island. What am I saying? It's in Bristol. Bristol is not an island at all. Um, and maybe I just pretended it was an island you know, to make it more fun. But uh, somehow the host <laughs> of the Airbnb she was staying at uh, got wind of her plans to see a band called Death Blooms, 
And she said uh, she is not going to grant her request to stay there based solely on her music taste, stating that the music taste is, uh, well, that she is not comfortable with this nature of music. And, quote, they have no issue with anybody's taste in music, despite the fact they clearly have an issue with this person's taste in music, saying that they find Death Bloom's music and lyrics to be aggressive, expletive riddled, and disturbing, which makes it sound, you know, awesome. Uh, Kaylee eventually got a hold of Airbnb support team who gave her a vague corporate speak of promise to take a closer look at the situation. Their community commitment and community standard guidelines promote non-discrimination. Nothing has really come of it yet. Uh, the band, however, is uh, making the most of this opportunity. They've, they've heard about um, this, and so they've already uh, got new band t-shirts printed with on the back the words aggressive, expletive written, and disturbing. So good on them. It's a great idea. Capitalism. Uh, Sir Christopher Gilbert is in Tokyo, and this is the International Dispatch. All right, Chris, we are uh, taking our little tour around the world. Did you want to stay in the uh, in the UK, or do you want to head off to Russia? Oh, let's go to Russia, because this one is amazing. Because I didn't actually know this was a real thing. Um, Frozen, this, this is the headline, is the dailymail.co.uk, which is my favorite mail, is the dailymail.co.uk. Uh, frozen bodies and brains of wealthy Brits and Americans are snatched, in capital letters, from a Russian lab where they were stored in the hope of being brought back to life. Um, what has happened is that there's a cryogenics firm. And so the cadavers of uh, apparently wealthy people and their brains, which are separate, and I assume dead, have been cryogenically frozen. Um, the reason this is news is because uh, Valeria Udalova, I assume I'm saying that correctly, who is 59 years old, has split up with uh, Danila Medvedev, who is 41 years old. Um, and she is obviously claiming 50% of everything. Uh, she is claiming to have to do you know ownership of 50% of these cadavers as well. So in the middle of a night, her and uh, a team of minions and lackeys bust into this cryogenics firm and stole about 50% of the uh, bodies that are in there and just chucked them in a truck, spilled nitrogen everywhere. And then just in, in like, I can see this happening in kind of like Rick and Morty, like an animation style, just um, these huge concrete cylinders, horizontal, and they're not meant to be horizontal, probably just heating up and leaking on the, on the trucks back to um, <laughs> Kiev or wherever they were going. It's disgusting. But I did not know cryogenics is a real thing. Is it a real thing? Mm -hmm. I'm surprised Where they took the brains this. out. You think that they would freeze the person with the brain attached just in case the technology to um, reinvigorate you whole comes before the reinvigorate you and put your brain in somewhere else. But. Yeah. And it says here, um, the quote from the guy who runs it, the brains of our neuropatients were kept separately in a special metal medical box. That doesn't sound like something that, to be perfectly honest, we have the technology to do, especially like mm. a dysfunctional couple in, in the rural Russia. I, that doesn't yeah. sound safe to me. Do you know what sounds terribly inconvenient for most of us, but really inconvenient for these guys? What's that? A power failure. 
Oh, yeah, right? Oh, uh, yeah. But, you know, the thing is, though, I've got two things about this, right? This is meant to be, like, wealthy people. And the cost of a full-body cryopreservation at this place is about 45000 Canadian dollars. And I, I don't want to be, like, assuming, you know, showing my privilege or whatever, but to be cryogenically frozen, $45,000 is not that much. I would expect no. it to be like hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars. Well, these, when you're, these, how much for a funeral? Exactly, right? Or like, this, I mean, that's the price of a, like a, even a wedding, you know, just like a major life event. People pay that much on huge, huge, a, a house in New Zealand, the average house price is a million dollars. And these people, these absolute donkeys want to like, be like, you know what? I'm going to die, cut out my brain, put it in a box, chuck it in the freezer. It'll be all good. It's mm -hmm. insane. And the other thing, Shane, and I don't want to work myself up because I don't know what's going to happen in my current fragile state. But <laughs> the other thing is that what is the point in getting yourself cryogenically frozen? Because I don't know if you've noticed, but it's not going to get any better later down the line. Things are getting worse all the time. And you're not like, <laughs> you're not like elongating or prolonging your lifespan. If anything, is like, as a friend said to me the other day when we were talking about the story, it's like putting a banana in the freezer when you can't take your thaw it again. It's just mushy. That's going to be you. And it's going to be you <laughs> plus 20 plus years of global warming. And it's mm -hmm. like, what are you doing? Just live now. We still have snow and clouds. Enjoy your life. Don't cut your brain out and put it in a freezer in Russia for $45,000. It's insane. Although, you know, like it also sounds kind of fun. I would like to uh, welcome all the listeners who just walked in and turned on the radio halfway through that statement. Um, that's Chris Gilbert. I'm Shane Hewitt. This is the International Dispatch. One more story. Let's go to El Salvador because I can't believe this guy's still on Twitter when Trump got yeah. kicked off. Yeah, the El Salvadorian president has officially uh, changed his uh, Twitter bio to dictator. Um, and, uh, which is, you know, funny, it's a funny headline, but it's like, when you look into it, he's kind of doing like a winking iron, iron, ironic, irony, piece of irony display There you go. I'm going to say irony a few more times. Um, his name is president. Um, oh God, I'm not going to pronounce this correctly. President Nayib Bukele or Bukele. I'm very sorry to all the El Salvadorians, uh, listening. Um, but, uh, you know, he's really, really, really into Bitcoin like extremely into Bitcoin to the point that he tried to make it like the national currency of El Salvador. Mm -hmm. And he just tweets about Bitcoin all the time. He's a heavy Twitter user and he changed his description to dictator. Um, and then he just continued tweeting normally about Bitcoin, which by the way, can I just say, there's nothing normal about tweeting about Bitcoin. If you're tweeting mm -hmm. about Bitcoin, that's not healthy. And I recommend you stop. Um, but not everyone was charmed by his tactic because there's been heaps of protests and stuff about him over there. He's like, oh, I'm a dictator, am I? Let me change my Twitter profile. Ha, ha, ha. Um, the opposition party says changing his Twitter profile to call himself the dictator of El Salvador is a very childish act on part of the president. And I think that's a very stupid thing for the opposition party to say because, like, just pointing at someone, like, like who's effectively Trump, right? Pointing at Trump and calling him childish like what, you know, like what Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats did for four years. It's like Trump was like, oh, I'm a big baby, am I? Well, look at this. Goo goo gaga. He just doubles down every time.
And I, I think like if you're going to own these people, you know, people like El Salvadorian president who's a dictator on Twitter, you just have to say, oh, that's lame. Twitter's not cool. Who's ever on Twitter anymore? You have no idea. You're not cool. You know who's cool? I am. I'm on TikTok. And that's how you win at politics. There you go. Now that's the insight for the Canadian election. I would like to add to the Bitcoin as the official currency of El Salvador part of the story that he did. He tried to make it Bitcoin be the currency when most people don't have cell phones or internet internet access in that country. Yeah. So yeah, yeah they, they do have the coolest the coolest country name in the world though. Because first of all, it's two words, and New Zealand is two words as well. But it's El Salvador. I mean, that is very. If my name was El Salvador, I just feel like my life would have gone a lot better. But um, yeah, uh, Bitcoin is not great. Let it go. Move on. I feel like if your name was El Salvador, we would hear horns playing music every time you walked in the door. It's the way it goes. Um, Sir Christopher Gilbert here at the International Dispatch. Feel better, buddy. Thanks for being a champ and coming on the show, even though your tummy's upset. Oh, no, I love you guys. And I'll see you again very soon. This is The Shift Podcast. Well, this man has been very generous with his time with us over the last bunch of weeks leading up to the election. Dan McTagg, former Liberal MP, is with us again. Dan, here we are, back to where we started. How are you hanging in there, buddy? Well, I'm hanging in. I'm just, uh, I guess, like everyone else, decompressing, uh, trying to get our, uh, you know, right, get our minds together and figure out uh, how uh, what normal is going to look like over the next several months. Um, but it, uh, you know, what what we've seen here has been both upsetting and unnecessary. And you've heard all the commentary. Um, the outcome wasn't what the prime minister wanted um, and certainly wasn't what everybody wanted, the others wanted, which was his defeat. Um, so somewhere in between there, you're going to have to cobble together uh, a government and a parliament that's going to function. Uh, right off the bat, I don't think it's going to function. First of all, it doesn't have the money to function. And I think the goodwill that might have existed to some extent between parties, if the pretext of calling this election was, oh, parliament wasn't working. Well, you know, I guarantee you, if you thought it was bad, then wait till now. And uh, now we have a deteriorating, a significantly deteriorating economic outlook. I don't care what anybody wants to say, these rosy ideas. You can feel it on the streets. People are very concerned and nervous. And save for the you know the few areas across the country that are doing extraordinarily well, uh, it's only a matter of time before these things start to uh, to pile up. And uh, I guess uh, you know we're all trying to get back to normal, but uh, what that looks like uh, with a government that uh, may have lost its the moral right to govern uh, is going to be that much more difficult to uh, to manage. When you look at the parties, was it a situation where nobody won and um, but nobody lost? Or everybody lost and everybody won because you have the liberals going for a majority. You have the conservatives that did stave that off. In all fairness, they didn't get as far as they wanted to. NDP didn't really, you know, get much. Block was up to um, Greens were the same. There wasn't really a whole lot of anything going on there. So was it a uh, no winners but no losers or just? <laughs> I don't know. It was Groundhog Day all over again. It was. Um, it because it does feel like there was uh, a lot of emphasis here on a big breakthrough and i i thought something was odd because i didn't see a lot of people taking signs i didn't see a lot of uh, angst i didn't see anybody losing you know control um and i thought there you know the large numbers that were coming up for the advanced polls was a sign but 
there are so many variations in the selection. The fact that people really haven't changed their minds and are still in a bit of a holding pattern um, and still trying to figure out uh, how long this pandemic is going to go on, how many more lockdowns, how, uh, you know, our life is going to continue to be altered and disturbed, uh, how long that will go on really, I think for a lot of people is, uh, is, is the main question. And so uh, what does normal look like? Uh, for a lot of people, I think uh, what we've seen politically uh, is anything but normal. And uh, the result was uh, carry on, do what you're doing. Uh, and as dysfunctional as it may sound, it's necessary for Canadians to uh, now uh, try to you know, cobble together a government that's going to be able to lead in, in even more challenging times. Some of them I've already mentioned, economic and otherwise. Do we just not care, Dan? I mean, I think the evidence that comes out of Spadina riding about the candidate withdrawing too late his name was still on the on the ticket and so but we have a situation where he was still elected so are we not paying attention to any news are we just voting by color and do people care they're just like meh i'm just gonna get this done Well, the number of people it turned out was pretty low, like 52nd lowest in history. Um, I remember 2008, there was a number of reasons why people were not really too happy about having an election just a, a year and a half after the previous one in 2006. Um, you know, the Liberal Party uh, goes through a vetting process. It's pretty rigorous. Um, I hadn't been through one in, in several years, um, but they knew there was a problem. Uh, someone decided that they were going to uh, green light this candidate um, to the you know the detriment of you know throwing out their usual uh, rigorous review of anybody that wants to run. Uh, so uh, you know if you're prepared to make exceptions and certain people, uh, perhaps because of they're in the Liberal Party because they represent a certain constituency, an ethnic constituency, uh, perhaps uh, a cultural constituency. I don't know. But if the Liberals decided to turn a blind eye to this and now have allowed this fellow to to sit in the House um, and eventually when the, you know, the spokes, you know, sort of blows away, uh, you know, say he's welcome to come back into the Liberal caucus. I expect that it is likely going to happen. Uh, Something is awry. And I think uh, our reaction is uh, I think for a lot of people, you know, nothing's going to change. I mean, I'm in eastern Canada shocked uh, that uh, what we actually have is uh, you know a slam dunk for the liberal party in toronto and they don't deserve it um, and i can get upset about that because in normal times when i was a member of parliament if we did a quarter a fraction of the shenanigans that this prime minister has pulled off we've been shown the door we would have been kicked out and the media would have been very strong and uh, resolute in uh, ensuring that uh, uh, we were lined up on the 30-yard line and punted right through the end zone. And that didn't happen. And uh, I'm not so sure it's that people don't care. Just I think people are, are frankly, brainwashed. And I, I to, to the extent that they think everything's just fine and life's perfect and, you know, uh, uh, sunny ways, uh, it's disturbing. But what it does do is it sets us up for what I think is going to be a, a really significant day of reckoning and a, an awakening, an economic one that I think is coming. I also sense that the country is divided, not because uh, Canadians tend to disagree, but the polarizing uh, implications and effects of this prime minister he cannot possibly leave. He's damaged goods. Uh, he's not a reconciliator at a time in which the country is going to be seeing uh, some very difficult times ahead. So uh, wrong man, wrong time. And unfortunately for voters, may I say with some experience, you made the wrong choice. 
Now, I'll, I would agree with you. I'm trying to, um, you know, take the uh, take the what if here. Conservatives are a mess in general. The conservative movement in general is a mess. It's getting fractured by COVID. The PPC garnered a bunch of numbers, which I don't think they garner outside of the pandemic. But clearly there are people who are listening to what anybody will say on that end of the political spectrum. And they needed to find a home and they found a home. But they wouldn't have needed to find a home um, if they didn't feel that they didn't belong in the other one. In Alberta, we've got conservatives uh, who lost some seats that probably shouldn't have lost some seats. And, you know, you can blame the influence of the, the premier. I, I, I don't buy it. I just, but I look at everything going on. And Dan, if we were to sit here pragmatically with this, I would say that the trend is going in exactly the direction that you and I don't believe it is. Um, you know, I tweeted back uh, on April 15th, and I've retweeted it uh, because several people brought it to my attention, um, where I had basically taken the position that Mr. O'Toole had gone out on with climate change uh, on the assumption that he could win seats and convince Greens and Liberals that, uh, you know, he was the uh, he was going to change things over and that, uh, you know, this was no longer your grandfather's party type thing. Uh, I warned Aaron uh, in a tweet saying that uh, in 2008, when we pulled this stunt uh, of uh, imposing a carbon tax, which most people can understand because the rebate give back drives up the price of everything. People were not going to go back in those days. Perhaps they were a little bit more sophisticated. Perhaps they were a little bit more intelligent. I don't know, but they didn't, they, they didn't go for the snow job and uh, we were shellacked. Uh, the conservatives gave us a thumping, uh, the, the likes of which, uh, uh, you know, set us in, in motion to losing even more seats when we thought we were going to win our deal. Uh, my point is that uh, Mr. Uh, O'Toole should have known this. His father was one of my provincial counterparts. I had a very large riding at the time, and they certainly knew about it. So this was not a winner for the conservatives. I knew it wasn't a winner for the conservatives. It certainly wasn't a winner in the 905, which I represented for about 18 years. Uh, and for that reason alone, uh, I think the result was predictable. It also would hurt the base. Um, and I, I think that's in the tweet uh, turns out to be remarkably prescient. But it's not even that. It's This could be determined. If the Conservatives have stayed true to their values and true to what they believe in, take all the hits you want. Uh, you still would have wound up at the end of the day with more support than you have now. And you would have not given the PPC, in my view, uh, much room for growth. And you can be called all the things in the name of the, you know, <laughs> under the, you know, under the sun. Uh, but that's, you know, politics, you have to have thick skin. Uh, the reality is that Canadians were looking for a real alternative. And I've often felt that even being a rebel member of parliament, as I was for many, on many occasions, people tended to appreciate someone standing up for something. Unfortunately, uh, to a large extent on some of these issues, uh, Mr. O'Toole could not differentiate himself from the Liberals and cynical Liberals and those who are middle class or middle of the road voters just said, well, why would I vote for the Conservatives? Uh, you know, A, I don't trust them, but more importantly, they're now trying to look like, you know, liberal light. So it was insulting to the base, the Conservative base, and it was absolutely irrelevant, if not mockingly irrelevant to Liberals and Greens who basically brushed it aside. I hope the Conservatives have a, a review of this. And I know there are candidates who lost in 2019 people I consider friends on the conservative side said, you know, if we'd been stronger on climate, we would have won the election. Uh, if we had taken those social issues and pushed them and thrown them in the garbage, we would have won. the. Well, you know, you did all that and you didn't just lose. You lost ridings, you lost net uh, ridings that you had last time. So 
I think the it's not a question of the jury being out. This was a failed experiment. Conservatives should get back to being conservatives. Be proud of who they are. Because I'll tell you, when they stand up for what they believe in and they've got the win in their sails, they'll blow up any liberal that's in front of them. I, I know because I, I saw it in 04. I saw yeah. it in 06. I saw it in 08. Well, you had to and deal with the wrath of conservatives for so long. I saw our party have to back off. And, you know, it didn't matter how strong the leader was. When people are ticked off at you and they see one or two controversies, they'll, they'll give you the pass. But after some point, they start to say, well, you know what? We, we, we know what the conservatives are all about. We're going to give them a chance. The liberals have had three kicks at the can. I don't think there's much more left in the uh, in the uh, in the reserve for them. I think the next election, if the conservatives can get together and smarten up and get back to uh, what wins winning ways uh, and stand up for what they believe in. You're not offending people by saying I have a particular position. But the last thing we need, and I, you know, this is where I was biting my tongue, and you and I talked about this. Why in God's name did we not talk about affordability? It is the number one issue yeah. right now. Britain is on its knees because we have woke capitalists, people like Mark Carney going around telling uh, bondholders and bond rating agencies and financial advisors, kick the crap out of anybody who is actually producing a hydrocarbon and can't come up with a net zero plan. Who the hell do we think, does that man think he is, to go around snapping his fingers and create the kind of chaos where we're seeing where, you know, grocery stores and shelves are going empty in Britain? That's a sign of things potentially to come to North America if we allow these people to really uh, wrestle the agenda away from the interests of the country and to that large extent to the rest of the world. So I think it's time for the Conservatives to regroup, rethink, get smart uh, and stick to uh, stick to the plan, because uh, you're not going to get everybody. But as the Liberals have proven, you can win with 31 percent. Wow. Electoral reform. I mean, if I could even you know, look at my crystal ball here and go, I wish. Now that everybody has a green agenda of some fashion, whether they'll fulfill it or not, that's up for debate. But if the electoral reform becomes part of the green agenda, to me, I think that's going to get a lot more appealing for Canadians. Clearly seems to be one of the um, instigators or catalysts anyway for internal strife. We look at all these parties, Dan. So yeah, there's a clearly a big vacuum here and someone's trying to fill it. Are we better off with the conservatives trying to fill that vacuum in the moderates in the middle and the PPC come up on the side, or are we better if someone creates an actual moderate party? Well, I think this, the spectrum has shifted, but it will shift like, once again. It's been very decidedly towards the left. I mean, I give the Trudeau liberals credit for the fact that they learned from 2011 and said to, in order to survive, you have to outflank and outleft the left. The problem is that the left's ideas of cancel culture, of shutting people down, of, of virtue signaling, of, uh, you know, identity politics uh, is creating more strife. And at the same time, the other side of the left's equation, which is spend with the bandit, uh, is now going to fall out of uh, favor significantly because the country is not going to be able to pay its bills. We are witnessing a financial, uh, yeah, really a disinclination in this country. We're seeing right now, uh, a dwindling future for our economy. And in that regard, it's going to make pushing more socialism that much more difficult. Uh, I don't want to use a Margaret Thatcher, but, uh, you know, the problem with, uh, uh, with uh, spending money is that sooner, sooner or later uh, you run out of other people's money. And that's kind of the way in which I think we're heading here. Uh, there are warning signs everywhere um, of impending problems with the economy. And if it doesn't have the economic wherewithal to fend off 
uh, you know, a, a growing recession or prospect of lack of growth and higher inflation, uh, then I think uh, it's going to get real for a lot of people. We're not going to play this game of, you know, uh, moderation of our politics. It's going to be you you spent us into oblivion. And I saw this play in 1981, my first crack at the can. <clears throat> and yeah, I've talked about this, <coughs> excuse me, working for Paul Cosgrove, watching people lose their homes with 24% interest rates in the summer of 1981. Uh, a terrible thing to see, including the fact my father was a home builder at the time. So I knew viscerally what this, what was happening. The entire spectrum, the entire uh, political process is going to change in this country when people have got and have obviously been bored with great times and have taken for granted our financial stability now find themselves without work, without a home, without a future, without education. Uh, I think we're heading for some very, very difficult times. And that's going to really sharpen people's focus and get back to what needs to be done, which we haven't seen in 20 or 30 years due to our success. And that's uh, how to balance a book, uh, not just domestically at our own homes, but uh, in terms of our of our uh, of our country as a whole well it's a uh, daunting future no doubt about it i've got a question for you that um i kind of hope surprises you a little bit and i i really hope that it disturbs you a lot so this prime minister is tied for election wins not years in the prime minister job but for election wins he's tied with stephen harper he's tied with jean chrétien uh, he's also tied with his dad. He was appointed and then won. But then you start to throw some other names around. You've got John Diefenbaker. You've got William Lyon Mackenzie King. Um, the only guy, two guys that have more elections, He, if he were to win again, even if it's in 18 months or six weeks, <laughs> whenever the election comes up, he would tie Sir Wilfrid Laurier for election wins. He would tie Sir John A. Macdonald. No, he won't. John had the uh, McDonald had two more before he came back. So he he's about to tie Sir Wilfrid Laurier. The guy's on our money. And one more election win. He ties the election wins for Sir Wilfrid Laurier. He's got to win two more before he even comes near Sir John A. Macdonald. This is the kind of legacy that history will see that Canada kept this guy working. That's concerning. <laughs> Yeah, well, 1896 to 1911 for Laurier. So in that, you'd have 15 years. Uh, Pierre Elliott Trudeau with the uh, the Tory interlude in 79 had everything, what, from 68? Uh, almost lost it in 72, mm-hmm. were it not for my old riding, what was called Ontario riding, where uh, my the last guy I represent, liberal represent my riding, was a fellow named Norm Caffick. And uh, the joke was always, uh, Norm won by eight votes. Uh, had he not done so, Stanfield and Trudeau would have tied um, 108 to 106, I think was the number. But uh, the funny joke at the time was uh, had Catholic shook four more hands, hmm. uh, the the election would have been lost. Nevertheless, yeah. um, I digress. I'm painfully aware where Mr. Trudeau was at. Uh, uh, and I think John Kretzian would have done another one, too, had it not been for the party saying it's time for him to go. Um, because Kretzian could have easily you know, won. Uh, the 2004 election, but uh, after 10 years, it was decided that it was time for him to go. I'm not sure that the prime minister, um, that Justin Trudeau, will get a fourth chance. Uh, and if he does, by that point in a year or so, the economic situation in this country, and I'm going to keep coming back to it because it's uh, not to use a, uh, you know, an old uh, American expression from uh, Carville, that's the economy is stupid. Uh, it is really the economy. And a lot of people who've been very ignorant now are very smart. 
um, and realize that uh, we've painted ourselves into a corner. So, I mean, I think it's an interesting question and uh, I like speculating. Um, what are the chances of, I mean, he surprised me before. He's a rock star. Uh, apparently, um, he can do no wrong in Toronto. His candidates can be caught, you know, engaged in allegations of all sorts, as we see with the member uh, from a new elected member from Spadina, uh, York. Um, so apparently that doesn't, uh, there are places, I think taking Toronto out of the equation, that's a pretty tough thing to do. Uh, he's toast. But I think in, Toronto will continue to prop him up um, to the extent that he can. But he has to really realize that uh, he's pushed the button so often now um, and treated Parliament as really his own fiefdom and treated electors the same way. The fact that so many of them have sort of given him a, a passing grade is shocking. It says a lot about the, uh, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the lack of sophistication uh, by our voters. Uh, and I would almost say, you know, a moral standing has decreased dramatically. And that's, that's not an insulting remark. Uh, uh, this man would have been shown the door in my time and any time before that. You mentioned all those leaders with this scandal after scandal. Nevertheless, um, short answer is uh, I don't think he'll be around. I don't think he'll be given an opportunity or he will decide, uh, hubris aside, to, uh, to pack it in. Dan McTagg, former Liberal MP from Ontario. Um, energy and affordableenergy.ca, by the way, is, uh, is his thing. If you want to learn more about what Dan gets up to these days when it comes to the economy, we didn't hear much about uh, energy. And as Albertan, I like to pay attention to that one for sure. So it'll be interesting to see what comes next. All I know is... The election has happened. The people that did vote, voted. They counted them. This is the outcome. Even though I love the Maritimes and they get more say than triple the population that Alberta has, um, what would it be like? What would it be like if for the first time ever, the Maritimes found out the results before the election was over and BC didn't? What it would be like if the number of seats represented fairly the population. But why would you change that if you're Justin Trudeau? Because it's working. It's very scary. Thanks, Dan. Good to be here. Thanks again, Shane. It's the Shift Podcast. We really did get our first uh, Canadian on there with the Tragically Hip on the list, by the way. So, yeah, one of the best songs. Blaine Kylo, I know that you are a disco dancer, you know, on the weekends. A dance and dance and dance and dance machine. September, because, wow, did that Earth, Wind, and Fire hook get into me bad yesterday. Did it? It's such a great yeah. song, though, doesn't it, though? Were you doing the Not walk? Were you out. walking down the sidewalk, eh? With a little Blaine Kylo, throwing the hips into it? I was embarrassing my kids as I was dancing in the driver's seat. Nice, as you should. Good parenting. That's the Good way, parenting, right? my friend. Solocore.com is Blaine's website. Technology, gaming, and so much more, plus great dads. So S-O-L-O-C-O-R-P-S.com and Solocore on the Twitter as well if you want to follow along to his comments, questions, and family sharing. It's all on there for you. Here we go in our technology blader. Um, before we get to that, is there a couple of songs that we can we can maybe toss on this list that come to mind for you? Did you want September to be your song? No, that's just a recent one. You know, there is a song that 
I play whenever me or the kids or anybody's feeling a bit down because when we play it, it's impossible not to get a smile on your face. And it's Lovely Allen, which is an instrumental track by um, Canadian band Holy F. Um, the F, of course, is more than just the F, but I'm not going to oh. drop F-bombs on your show. Thanks. Well, you can. Uh, Holy you F, Lovely Allen. It's, inst- it's just a, a fantastic instrumental. It just kind of gets you up and happy. It's sunshiny type song. Love it. All right, we're going to add it to the list. I can promise you this. It's going to be above the Smiths, so that's good news. Okay, top 500 songs. We will continue with your contribution here. Ryan is still shaking his head, very displeased, playing Kylo. Um, we've got some game stuff we're going to dig into right off the top here with uh, with your technological world, and maybe uh, an extremely impactful game of all year. Oh, Death Loop has just got its hooks in me, and I cannot stop playing. Let's listen to the clip. This whole island's like a broken record, skipping endlessly on one fulfilling day. Everybody chose to be here, Colt. Blood on the mind, life on ice, call it paradise. Nobody's going to thank you for destroying paradise. Looking for a sign on the mind. Then it's on me to end it for all of us. It just drips style, doesn't it? Can't you just hear it in that? It sounds very fresh, actually. It sounds like it's... I mean, I always comment about how they sound like movie trailers, but it really does sound quite fresh and exciting. This is neat. So Death Loop is exactly what it promises. It is a loop of deaths. You're going to die a lot playing this game, but that's actually the point. You play Colt, who wakes up on this beach and realizes that he is caught in a repeating day. And his job, he decides, is to try and break the loop while everybody else on the island is trying to protect it. And so... Unlike other games that are like this, they're roguelites. The idea that when you die, you start over again, or when you die, you go back to the beginning. This is that same concept, but what Arcane Studios has done is they've crafted a story and the mechanics so that you don't lose everything every time you die. There's a currency that you can collect so that you can spend that currency and keep this really good weapon that you found or this power that you've picked up so that you slowly over time as you're dying and dying and dying and restarting again, you're becoming more powerful, you're becoming more capable, and you're also learning more about this world that you're in. Why is this day repeating? What is with these cranks that are all over the island that want to protect this loop and keep this crazy life going? What Arcane has done is bring together elements from a whole bunch of different games that they've made, including the Dishonored series and the Prey games. A lot of the mechanics are very similar. A lot of the feel is very similar. But they've brought into it this really incredible style and an incredible game that you will not be able to put down. It's a PS5 console exclusive for now. It's also available for Windows, but Arcane is owned by Bethesda, which is owned by Microsoft now. So in a year and some, you can expect to have this on an Xbox console, but please don't wait. Play it now. 
Is it first person kind of role playing scenario, that kind of thing? It, it it is definitely first person, like the first person that you can actually see your arms moving. So it's not just first person where you're looking out the eyes. You actually see parts of your body when you're moving. Um, and so, yeah, very much first person shooter kind of an experience. Um, there, there's really nothing else like it out there. Like I say, there are elements of this that are similar to other games that are out there, but nobody has combined them in the way that Arcane has in Deathloop. All right, so if we're playing on our phones, Apple's got some new stuff too. Yeah, three new games on the Apple Arcade that I thought were interesting. You, everybody has heard of Temple Run. That was one of the first of the endless runners where you try and run as fast as, as far as you can without dying. And that whole franchise has now been converted into a match three game. So you can play that on any of your Mac devices, iOS, Mac OS, TV OS. And then there's also Zen Pinball Party, which is kind of cool. You can play this on any of your Apple devices as well. Zen's been making pinball games, digital pinball games for a while. And their digitally recreated pinball tables actually are amazingly realistic. And so you, you tap the bottom corners to work the flippers and you can actually... Um, digitally virtually bump the table you know the way you might bump mm. the table to make to the cheat. ball go the way you want to yeah by just sort of swiping on the screen so they've actually done a really good job of recreating the pinball experience on your smartphone kind of fun with zen pinball party and another kind of a quirky thing coming out of japan is layton's mystery journey um, this is only on your iOS devices, so only on your iPad and your iPhone. But the latent games, they're puzzle games, essentially, set in these kind of really quirky, bizarre, English-like worlds. They're, they're, they're really kind of an affected, an, an, an affected world and experience. But really, they're puzzle games. So logic puzzles, you're going through these stories and collecting information and trying to solve mysteries and all the while solving these logic puzzles as you go. So Layton's Mystery Journey, already available on the Nintendo devices, and now available on your iOS device, courtesy of Apple Arcade. Do you find the bigger phones are easier for these things? Because I know that's an ongoing conversation, right? Do I want a bigger phone? Do I need a bigger phone? But if you want a game, should you just do it on the iPad? Uh, there are some games that are absolutely better on an iPad because the extra real estate means that you can experience them better. If you've got a game where you need to sort of twitch respond to it, um, an iPad might be too big because you've got to hold that thing up and you've got to get your thumbs tapping on the screen. And depending on the size of your hands and how much you want to hold up the weight of an iPad, that might be a bit much. Um, but there are some games like the, the, the matching games, any of those puzzle games like that that aren't don't require that sort of twitch response. They're way better on an iPad because you've just got more screen. And with the the screens and the colors that Apple is bringing to their iPads these days, sometimes that's the way you want to go. What about the, the control buttons on the phones? Is that getting any better when you have to touch the screen to make the control appear, then use the control, right? And then you touch it again to make it go away, just sort of too many functions for too few fingers? Yeah, it really depends on the game and on the developer and how they have 
deployed their touch functionality. So it can be really bad. We were talking a, a couple of weeks ago about how it can really be hard to play some of the first person shooter games like the Call of Duty on your smartphone. It's a great idea, but it's really hard to play a Call of Duty on a smartphone. Um, but the nice thing is, is that you can actually connect a controller now to your iPhone. And so you can actually play these games with a proper controller and you just have the iPhone essentially being the screen, but you're oh, using a game controller to play. Bluetooth, I'm assuming? Yeah, exactly. It's a technological world. Blaine Kylo is here. Solocore.com, S-O-L-O-C-O-R-P-S.com for his website. We're going headphones here, Blainer. Yeah, I thought of a couple of more songs though. Oh, yeah. Okay, hit me with it. There's there's a one two like a pair of songs that I just think might be the best pair of songs ever. So you first you listen to David Bowie's Space Oddity, mm -hmm. and after you do that, you listen to Peter Schilling's Major Tom, and those that might be the best one two song combination that are from completely different artists that I've ever heard, and so I would add those to the list. We are taking the 500 best songs of all time built by shift heads right here. Um, so feel free to text it in 877-399-9898. That is our phone number for you. Text in your songs. We've got <laughs> the list is getting very long. We want to get it over 500 so we can trim it down and drop off all the Smith songs. So Blaine <laughs> Kylo, if you're going to be listening to your, uh, your, your, oh, I got to this since you said David Bowie, I'm, there's a dad joke came in since you're a dad. Okay. Off you go. Um, it's, it's about David. It says, my friend David had his ID stolen. Now he's just Dave. Or Dav. <laughs> it's a good yes. dad joke. I like that. That, that, <laughs> that, that joke looks better on paper. I love it. I think that's genius. Thank you very much for the text message. All right. If we're listening to our top five running songs on Spotify, we're going to listen with some earbuds. Yeah. You know, the things that I've had in my ears lately are the new Samsung Galaxy Buds 2, which are the best earbuds that I've had. Um, earbud fit is a very personal thing. So not everybody's going to be as happy with the fit in their ears, but these fit better than any other earbud that I've put in my head. I really like that. They really feel like they disappear into my ear canal, which is actually what you want because they sit flush against the side of your head, which is really important, especially as we're hitting fall and winter when that wind picks up. Because if you've had wireless earbuds in and they stick out and it's windy, you can actually, they, they actually pick up that wind and it can really impact the quality of the sound that you're getting. So because the Buds 2 fits so into the canal, um, it can be windy and I don't even notice that there's wind. So the sound is better than any of the other Galaxy Buds uh, that Samsung has produced. The active noise cancelling isn't as powerful as the Buds Pro. So there's none of that intelligent auto, uh, active noise cancelling where it will automatically trigger the noise cancelling when it realizes you're having a conversation, for example. But if you can deal without that feature... Um, the microphones and the sound are as good as what the Galaxy Buds Pro are going to deliver. And 
these are always designed to work best with Samsung's handsets, but they also work fine with any other Android device. And I tested them out with an iPhone and they work just fine with an iOS smartphone too. Galaxy Buds 2, best Samsung's come out with so far. Uh, I would add to that the battery life when they're flush to your ear and it's cold outside. I do find that from time to time, the bigger cup headphones that are more exposed to the cold and the larger earbuds that stick out that maybe you don't cover up with the tube the same way, those batteries kind of get sucked down real quick if you're not careful. Yeah, because they can't take your body heat to keep them warm because cold is yeah. a battery killer. We know that. It is a battery killer. Okay, Blaine Kylo is here. Um, if you want to really get techno geek, now this is very techno geek. You can geek out with your fridge. Yeah, well, this is less of a technical thing and more of a thing that Samsung's got this whole new line of fridges that they're calling bespoke. And <laughs> it's you can mix and match them. You can actually configure them for your space. And it's kind of like when you go into Ikea and you can have... Well, that cupboard can be matched with that cupboard, and I can put this color or that color. Samsung's doing that with fridges now. It's really kind of cool. Um, the new bespoke refrigerators, you've got all these different combinations. You can go with tall single units and sort of line them up. You know, one's a fridge, one's a freezer, another's a fridge. You can have as many as you want. Or they've got these sort of four-ups. Um, there are four door units. So you've got like two tops that each open and two bottoms that each open to the side. And you can mix the, the colors and you can mix the, whether it's glass or steel for those outer panels. And of course it's Samsung. So you can also get different features in. So you can have a water dispenser or an autofill water pitcher. You can have cubed ice or ice nuggets, and you can even get a screen on your Samsung fridge so that you can um, keep track of maybe what your, your next shopping list is going to be. Samsung's bespoke refrigerators. Kind of cool. That is incredibly cool. We've posted that link up for everybody to see at the Shift Radio Show on Facebook group to check it all out. Um, wow, Blaine Kylo and the solocore.com if you want to learn more about what he's up to and where all of that information is. Um, do you want to touch? Do we can we do QR codes in, in 15 seconds or do you want to save it? Yeah, no, we can do it fine. Somebody asked last week if you can do QR codes if you don't have Wi-Fi or cellular. Yes, you can. Your QR code you can get on Wi-Fi if you go to your health agency, but you don't need to do that. Generate the QR code, take a picture of it with your phone, and then you can have that picture on your phone. You don't need any kind of connection at all to show a phone or a picture on your phone. That QR code doesn't change. It's unique to you. In Ontario, the... Uh uh, vaccine passport stuff just getting started and QR codes on the way for all the other provinces very soon too. Blaine Kylo, thank you very much, brother. We'll see you in a week. Thanks for listening to the Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify and CuriousCast.ca.